The following is a hoop ball presentation. Another edition of Round Ball Ramble, the last edition of Round Ball Ramble before the season starts. Yep, I know. I'm sorry. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBall Tweets, online hoop-ball.com. Um, I mean, whether you're coming in for the team uh, podcast or staying for the fantasy coverage or you want to get up with the Discord chat and the fantasy experts who are there all the time, we're checking the Round Ball Ramble chat. It's there as well. You can do that all through Hoop Ball. So one more time, hoop-ball.com on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets. Also, we have a deal going on here with the Hoop Ball family. I'd like to share with you, uh, manscaped.com, cutting edge tech to take care of all that shaving areas, wherever you may need those shaving areas to be done. Uh, check that out with Manscaped. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code HoopBall20. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. Definitely make sure to take advantage of that one more time, HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. All right, listen, y'all, we are in our last day before the NBA season kicks off. By the time y'all listen to this, we will be hours away from Bucks versus Nets, Kevin Durant and James Harden versus the defending champions on their ring night. And then we will close with the Lakers versus the Warriors, recapping the thrilling play-in matchup game from last year. Crazy to say that, but, I mean, these two teams uh, weren't supposed to be there, but they are supposed to be here, and it should be a lot of fun. And we are reviewing our final division here with my good friend. Uh, I am the host of his show, Duncan Dynasty, NBA savant, movie maestro, all-around good guy, my friend, Garrett Bougay. You can follow him on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. Garrett, how you doing, man? I'm I'm doing great. You know, this week is uh, there's there's nothing more exciting than having uh, the the NBA start and uh, also uh, my most anticipated movie of the year, Dune, coming out this this uh, this Friday. You know, that was talked about my job today. That's a movie that people are eagerly anticipating. I hyped up Halloween Kills and uh, that flopped. So um, that shows you just the difference in movie knowledge between yourself and mine. But yeah, Dune should be exciting. I'm actually kind of mildly intrigued by this. Yeah, uh, Denis Villeneuve, I, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite directors. Of course, he did the Blade Runner 2049, was his most recent film. Ah. Uh, just a, a brilliant visionary director, uh, an amazing cast. Yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And and yeah, I uh, uh, you know we've got like a, a good slate of movies basically every week for the rest of the year. And uh, yeah, I uh, don't know if I'm going to have time for them because the NBA is here. I know. I'm about to say, just when you really, the movies, when they should have come, you know, when we wide open the NBA season, we got a few here and there. Now we get that last little push of movies, and, you know, we're already tuned into the NBA, which is about to be in full swing. Um, and so that's why I'm actually happy to have you on. We're going to be talking um, the Atlantic Division. And I am pumped to kind of get that started with you. Uh, before we start, uh, any, like, I guess we're going to start in and end with this question, but like, what are you like when you think Atlantic division, what comes to mind? Like the team you immediately think about? 
Well, I think it's one of the, if not the best division in the NBA. Uh, I think all five teams are going to be respectable. And we've got a couple of teams, well, at least one that uh, is going to be in there in contention for the NBA championship and in the Brooklyn Nets. You've got another couple in perhaps the the Sixers and Celtics. And, and if you're very high on the Knicks, even the Knicks that would would uh, maybe think that they could make a conference finals or even potentially go further. So it's a, it's a really talented division on the court. And then also, you know, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but it's also dominating the news off the court as well. No, you're right. I feel like we have to touch it up to a certain extent because uh, the elephant in the room is Brooklyn and, and what's going on there. And especially with, uh, with one Kyrie Irving, a football star, Kyrie Irving. I don't know if you, if you saw that. I did not. Oh, wow. So uh, I was watching. I got to give crowd to NBA Today. Uh, that was formerly the name of this show, uh, but ESPN decided to take it, run with it. Okay. Um, but there was video of Kyrie Irving playing football in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. He uh, just, I, I guess he's doing just in regular clothes, just playing football in a park, in a field. So with a bunch of, with a bunch of people. So like, you know, whether he's uh, decided to stay in shape that way or whether he is thinking about switching a different career, um, no question there. But the bottom line is no matter where you go, uh, and if you're talking Brooklyn Nets, we're going to talk about Kyrie and, and his, his kind of shadow kind of looms over that franchise in terms of what his future is with them, um, whether that changes their future immensely. Like, it's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I understand that uh, being outside is, is safer than being inside. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't play flag football or whatever kind of football with Kyrie Irving, even if uh, even if we were on opposite teams or, you know, uh, given his vaccination <laughs> status. But, yeah, it's, it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a frustrating situation for, for everybody involved. And, you know, the obvious drama also that that uh, came to a head a, a week or two ago was the Nets having to decide if they were going to let Kyrie be a part-time player and and participate just for the road games and I think they correctly decided no we're not going to do that not only for the safety of our players and staff mm-hmm. uh, but but also just the chemistry issues that would come from giving somebody that sort of a leeway and also having to constantly adapt your rotations and your minutes. So it's a, it's a, it's a frustrating situation, not only as a, as a basketball fan, but also just uh, as someone that uh, has, has done a decent amount of research and, and feels like Kyrie is just being uh, incredibly ignorant in regards to vaccines. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it also impacts the the NBA playoff picture and the title picture. Yeah, I mean it does immensely. I mean you have a t- you're looking at a squad now that I thought the Nets are pretty much a lock, and I think now you kind of have to reconsider it just a little bit, you know, in terms of uh, injury history of uh, Kevin Durant and the possibility of one for James Harden, even though he's been pretty durable the last couple of years. You know, little things here and there as he ages and. I mean, all of a sudden you go from three, you know, superstars to two. That's still, it's still a, a, a generous uh, blessing of riches there, but at the same time, it's not the near lock that it once was. Yeah. I, uh, when, when I did my uh, tears podcast with, with Justin Matcham, we, uh, we talked about it and I had the nets in a tear to their own prior to the Kyrie news as, as the clear favorites. And, and I would have been really at that point shocked if anybody else won, I would have taken the nets over the field. Um, wow. Yeah. But, 
But after the Kyrie news, I'm kind of more in the, the mold Lakers of field, right? they, they still, <laughs> Yeah, I, I would take the field, certainly now. Yeah, I'm messing with you, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, they they are now – I'd still say they are in the top tier, but they're not in a tier to themselves. They're with the likes of Milwaukee and, uh, you know, potentially the Lakers or Phoenix or one of those teams, whoever you prefer outside – out of the uh, the Western Conference. Definitely. Yeah, I'm with you now. It's a lot more open. It's a lot more questions to be had. And, you know, it definitely doesn't make them an all but inevitable kind of finals contender. Uh, Before we even go too deep on that, though, I do want to start with kind of, I guess, the beginning here. You look at these teams, uh, like you said, uh, outside of the clear cut favorites in. Well, I'm sorry. I guess I can't say they're no longer the clear-cut favorites, but outside, let's say the fav- the favorites in this division in the Nets, you still have teams like the Celtics, the Knicks, the Raptors, and the 76ers who each come with their own set of questions. So I guess the first question I'd like to ask you is, uh, let's go to the young folks. Uh, who do you think is the most exciting? Um, and mind you, you know, having done like the Southwest Division and others, like, it isn't that crazy? You know, the top three, for example, aren't in this division of Kate Cunningham, um, Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, but there have been some picks here and there. What do you think is the most exciting, Garrett? If I had to pick the the, the one guy that I'm most excited about, it's got to be Scotty Barnes, who happens to be the fourth overall pick. Uh, and, you know, playing for the Toronto Raptors, you know, still not sure how big of a role he's going to have, but he got time in the, in the preseason. Uh, he showed a lot of, uh, of what intrigued the Raptors organization in, in some of that preseason action. He's a good passer. He's, he's really long athletic. And uh, you know, I think the jumper is actually further along than I would have expected given what he looked like, even in summer league. Oh wow! It seems like he's, he's made some progress there still. I, I doubt he's going to be any sort of a threat from three this season, but the fact that we've seen him walk into, you know, some some off the dribble twenty footers, uh, you know, when it, when the defender lays off him, that's that's an encouraging sign. And yeah, just his his all around play, I think, is a really good fit for that Raptors core. Yeah, I think you're right. Someone with the energy that he brings to the table, like you said, the jumper not being that far off, I I still think it's a ways to go. But I see what you mean. Like he's definitely not afraid to take it, and that's a big step in the right direction. Um, you know, you have so many people kind of shy away. I don't want to mention another. Uh, player who struggled to jump shot in the same division historically but like who just you know instead of swearing off of it entirely um it's still saying okay you know what I, I'm, I still play basketball you know if you're gonna leave me open I'm gonna do my best to make you pay I'm gonna continue to go all the way you know to the to the gym and, and continue to work on this weakness and the passion the energy he brings he automatically is taken to the to the franchise and I think that that, that love is reciprocated yeah. And, um, you know, apparently from, from, from all accounts, he's, he's a great guy, a great personality. He's gotten along with, uh, all the, all of his teammates there so far. So yeah, he's, he's very exciting. And then I had another guy listed and that is, uh, and, and it might be more important for this guy to, to step up and, and produce given the Kyrie situation, but Cam Thomas, the, the late first round pick for the Nets, I'm excited to see, what he can do given that uh, that that void that Kyrie has left. Yeah, that would be for sure. He's someone that's obviously a bucket, you know, um, and just like Kyrie came in, Kyrie basically when he came in um, alongside James Harden, he shifted from the point guard role to really just a shooting guard scoring role. And so you have someone in Cam Thomas who has that ability, you know, to heat up in a hurry, 
definitely has that that eye to put the ball in the basket, uh, the drive as well. And uh, he seems ready made to kind of fit in with his skill set that he brings to the table into the NBA. So definitely one to watch for sure. Uh, and one that, yeah, probably should slot in and he's definitely gonna get the minutes, definitely gonna get the run. He impressed a little bit in summer in in preseason, definitely did some damage in summer league and is going to a team that I think will do the best in like keeping some of his crazier inhibitions in check as a as a young as a rookie, as a young guy in the NBA, but also, you know, giving the encouragement and giving him the 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 strength to kind of power through and, and really give some uh I can see, you know, 25, maybe even a 30-point performance here or there. Yeah, the thing I'm most curious about is how Steve Nash is going to manage, you know, not only the two stars, but then also the scoring options he has on the bench. We saw at times in the playoffs last year where he liked to uh, avoid staggering his star players, play them at the same time, and and put out more of those uh, – um, you know, bench units and, and try to just survive and, and play even in those those bench minutes and then really kill teams with both two or three stars out on the floor. I would not be surprised if he does something similar again this year with playing Durant and Harden together most of the time, especially since, you know, yeah, you've got a Cam Thomas, a Patty Mills, even a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, who are actually shot creators coming off the bench. Yeah, that is true. And, and, and guys who can, like you said, bring in that offense and, and, and be a consistent hub off the bench in a way that, I mean, looking up and down his division, there's not a whole lot of that that kind of fit that bill. Right, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. And, and yeah, Steve Nash obviously has a, has, has a pretty difficult job in front of him given the, the Kyrie situation, trying to, to manage that, managing the, the minute – loads of of Durant and Harden to make sure that they're healthy when it matters and then yeah they they added a lot of depth so he's got to figure out how to keep a lot of guys happy that uh it probably expect minutes and it's it's going to be no easy task yeah I and mean, that's what I'm saying do you what do you think about Steve Nash the coach like do you trust his ability to manage um it's mostly a veteran team so I don't want to say egos but to manage all of these um different young players, scorers, you know, um, not really great defenders, but guys who need minutes, guys who want to redeem themselves, like all of that. Do you think that C. Nash is the coach to be able to do that based off what you've seen? I do. Uh, I was, I was very impressed with him in his first season, you know, even, even prior to that, I thought he was a guy that, uh, you know, he uh, not only played in the NBA for a long time, played under some, some really uh, innovative coaches, but, you know, also was a big soccer fan. He ended up being a, a soccer TV analyst there on, on Fox Sports for a while. So I, I always appreciate the kind of guys that have a background that's a little more varied than just like, oh, I've, I've only thought about basketball for my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I do think Steve Nash uh, is, is already probably, I, I would say he's an above average coach and he may move into more being like uh, – in my mind, a top five coach, if he continues on the trajectory of, of from that first season. But uh, yeah, he's a guy that I think has a good demeanor about him. He's calm, he's confident, and uh, just an intelligent presence for that, for that crew. And then the other thing that helps him is a lot of those veterans that have come, I think, realize the situation. You know, a guy like Paul Millsap and, and LaMarcus Aldridge, those guys are coming in here realizing 
we know they've got they've already got Blake Griffin. They've got Kevin Durant who can play the four. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, they've got some some other guys there. They've got Nicholas Claxton who's a young guy that needs minutes. Uh, so I, I think these players, even when they were signing there, recognized that yeah, this is a crowded front court, and uh, you know, um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to get consistent 20, 25 minutes every night, but you know, on in a particular matchup. Steve Nash might go to LaMarcus Aldridge if he needs some more offense, or he might go to Millsap if he needs some more defense, or he can go with Claxton if he needs more energy and, uh, and athleticism. So he's got options and I think he can mix and match based on who they're playing. And, and hopefully these guys recognize, yeah, like if, if I get starters minutes, one out of every three games, like I'm, I'm going to be content. I get you. It's it's the ultimate buy-in to a bigger cause, and I mean, if the if the Nets had one before, they need one now. They have one now more than ever, so that is for sure. I'm um, looking at the off season. Uh, a lot of moves were made across the entire spectrum of the league. What were the best off season move or moves to you um, from this division, Garrett? My favorite one had to be one of the last ones, which was Kemba Walker to the New York Knicks on a two year, eighteen million dollar contract. That was a solid one. Yes, bringing someone over. I mean, the Knicks had talked about having some more juice in their offense. Uh, we saw in the postseason that it really kind of ground down to Derrick Rose being the only one who can consistently create shots for himself and others. Julius Randle was definitely uh, – he kind of overmaxed himself, I think, in terms of his abilities there. You had a little bit of a utility from Alec Burks, but not much, and the rest were just either rim runners or just standstill shooters. So you bring in someone to Kemba Walker who, you know, 31, um, definitely had some knee injuries, uh, slipped last year in Boston, uh, and was moved with the quickness by Barrett Stevens, like first move as uh, as general manager there. But you bring him to New York, his home, you hope for a revitalized Walker, uh, someone who definitely can grab the bounce, someone who can shoot the ball from deep, and I think what will be a great addition to this Knicks team under Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I think he's, he's not going to help the Knicks as much in the regular season as many people imagine. One, because like I think Derek Rose gave them pretty good production when he came over. He did. And, uh, you know, they, they've got depth at point guard. I think what Walker does for this team, and we saw it in the postseason last year against Atlanta, they just did not have enough shot creation, especially when the Hawks had a good matchup in DeAndre Hunter to throw at Julius Randle. They didn't really have too many other options. So what I think Kemba Walker really provides this team is that that ceiling for postseason play. Whereas if they can just get him to the playoffs, you know, feeling good, healthy and, and playing well, uh, he gives them a, 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 he provides them another level offensively that they can get to. And another thing that defenses really have to be concerned about that opens things up for the rest of the roster. And we've seen with Thibodeau and, and given the talent on this roster that I think defensively, they're going to be fine. They can match up with just about everybody. It's about being able to score on the offensive end at the highest levels and Walker gives them an out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who can bail them out down the stretch. Someone who, like you said, an additional shot creator alongside Rose, who just injected that Knicks offense with life when he came over midseason. I definitely do look at it as something that has dividends down the line for a team like New York. And you have to also imagine that he's definitely going to be, I don't want to say load managed because it's not the Tom Thibodeau way, but definitely looked out for with 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 particular attention to his knees and, and the potential wear down that could continue with heavy minutes. Yeah, and, and again, I, I just hope that the fact that they have Derrick Rose and they have Isaiah quickly, you know, they've got depth there at that position that they wouldn't, 
And again, yeah, I know this is this is asking a lot from Thibodeau, given his history. But I, I would hope that uh, they, they recognize that we do not have to play him on back to backs. We do not have to really push this particular player in the regular season uh, and, you know, uh, prioritize, at least with him, the, the postseason play. Whereas, yeah, you can still, you know, Julius Randle's in his mid-20s. You can still push him. You can oh, still yeah. push youngsters. You can still push a lot of those guys for heavy minutes. But if, if you're going to take it easy on one player, it should be Kemba Walker. If there's one guy who needs that break, if there's one guy who needs that space, it is Kemba Walker, 100%. And you're right, like, there's workhorses on this roster. Like, it's not like I think Timbo's going to have to stretch or look really hard, straining his eyes, trying to find that. It's just a matter of him being able to go, okay, you know, let's not run these guys out because I may need these guys, you know, March, April, May, a lot more than I do for, you know, a January game against, I don't know, the the, the Thunder. Right. For sure. Yeah, like, RJ Barrett, you can play him 40 minutes as many nights as you want. I think he's young enough that he could he could handle that. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure he wants that challenge too. If anything, you see a lot of these Knicks guys have been talking about how encouraged they are to to show more. RJ Barrett particularly saying, "Hey, I have some continuity under me for the first time in a while. I can since I'm in the league, really, I can really build off that." So I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I guess that leads to the opposite. What was the worst or most confusing offseason move that you saw from these five teams? So, you know, when I came on this podcast to talk the, the Toronto Raptors offseason, we got into this a little bit, but my pick for this was the Gary Trent Jr. deal. And it's not because I don't like Trent Jr. as a prospect. I think he's got potential and he's shown to at least be an NBA rotation caliber player. I don't think he's proven that he's a true, like good starting caliber guard yet. Mm-hmm. Um and they paid him like that. They basically paid him around the, the contract. I think uh, he had some some non-guarantees on there. It was initially reported as a three-year, $52 million deal with a player option. It's more like, uh, or excuse me, three for 54. It's more like three for 52. Uh, so it's it's in that 17 to $18 million range. But that's the, that's the start. That's money for a, a good starting two guard. And, you know, there's not really any upside for the team because they're already paying for what they're hoping he'll become. And then if he somehow manages to be even better than that in a couple of years, he can then opt out of the contract. So there's not much upside. I understand like, yeah, they they are able to bring him in for at least a couple of years and and see what he looks like and, and see if he can develop with their staff. But uh, yeah, that's that's why it was a little bit of a confusing move for me, because I I think he's overpaid a little bit and you gave him that player option, which is is never a uh, is is never a great, uh, great sign. No, you broke it down in a really good way. Like you said, it doesn't help the Raptors out, really, because if he plays bad, you're paying him a lot of money. And and you already said it. If he's playing good. Well, great. They're going to get ready to, to pony up and pay him even more money. Um, so yeah, not, not the greatest piece of business done there. I'm high on him in terms of what I think he can be. Although in preseason, from what I did see, he's still very jump shot happy. Um, starting to think it's because there's nothing else really there. Um, in terms of like going to the basket or anything of that sort. So slightly concerning, not going to lie there, but aside from that, I mean, you, you, you gotta be a little more, I don't know if you're, if you're a Toronto, you have to look at the best case scenario, which is that he's a, a solid hub. You know, you're going to pay him this amount of money. Maybe he doesn't go supernova. You want him to be like a really good, but not enough that you're like maybe 
paying over that whole amount for a new contract or losing your services. But you're right. That was, if if not worse, definitely the most confusing offseason move. You knew they're going to bring him back. That's primarily why they traded for him. But at that price point for that amount, like short-term, a lot of money with like a potential player, uh, player, player option to like get more uh, for a guy who's 22. I don't know. I don't know about it. It's kind of rough there. Um, but definitely shout out to Trent's agent for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh-huh. You know, I, I know a lot of people are looking at him versus Norman Powell and Norman Powell obviously got a lot more money and, and people are saying, well, Gary Trent Jr. will never be Norman Powell. And it's like, well, obviously they're not the same player. They're not the same type of player. Um, you know, I think for Trent Jr. to get to the level of impact that Norman Powell has say currently, I think it's going to involve him becoming, you know, a really good defensive player, a superior defensive player to Powell, but then also shooting threes at a really high volume off the catch. And then also, I think eventually, I think the development for him will be being able to operate, you know, on the ball and take threes off the dribble. And he also has shown a little bit of signs of having that ability to create separation horizontally to to get those shots off so I think that's where you know if you're a Raptors fan and are hoping to see okay what could Gary Trent Jr. be in a couple of years it's a guy that's a plus defender he's a great off-ball option because of his shooting and then also provides an on-ball element kind of like you know what what we've seen a little bit from from CJ McCollum which was his teammate in Portland Definitely. Wow. That's, that's literally the perfect kind of archetype of a player. You know, someone could be a secondary ball handler, create offense for himself consistently, if not for others, occasionally um, to a semi, you know, a semi, a semi-regular degree. So definitely with you on that, that's actually a perfect kind of comparison because the three and D role is nice. Um, but for some, especially someone getting paid that much for the untapped potential part of it, like if we're looking for full potential, that's probably more of what you're looking for than someone like a Norman Powell. So yeah, totally with you. McCollum is not somebody that, that consistently gets to the rim, but he creates space due to his ball handling, his footwork. I guess that's something that uh, Gary Trent Jr. is, is a ways away as, as, as far as uh, CG yeah. footwork, uh, getting to his spots and all of that sort of thing. But again, that's sort of a recipe of offensive player where a lot of your value is coming from the jump shot and then your ability to get to that jump shot, both off the ball and on the ball. I like it. I like it. That's something definitely to look at for Trent. I'll definitely be monitoring to see if he does bring that. You know, everyone works on something in the offseason. What does he work on for him? I think it'll be important, but interesting to see for sure. Um, looking at just the division in general, uh, Gary, this is your chance here to just kind of expose some of the things you're most looking forward to seeing from these teams i mean obviously the the dominance of the nets possibly uh anything on the the celtics perhaps like like what are your thoughts ben simmons is, exists here uh just in general I'm, I'm interested yeah i i wrote down a few things here uh the number one thing i'm interested in seeing is uh seeing if joel Embiid can replicate what he did last year or potentially even expand upon what he did last year? Like, is there another level that Joel Embiid can get to? It seems it's, it's kind of hard to believe, right? <laughs> Given how well he, he played last right. season. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I feel like Sixers fans would be, would be pretty content if they just get sort of the, the same Embiid that was arguably the, the, the front runner for MVP prior to going down last year. Um, so, so that's something, you know, he obviously added the, the mid range jump shot and even improved at the three point line. 
will those jump shot numbers continue to to be at that high of a level? Because if he's shooting over 50% from mid-range, there's just nothing you can do with a seven-foot-two guy that's facing you up, and that jumper is deadly, so you have to go get into it, his body, and then he can drive around, draw fouls, and, and dunk on you. There's just no option. So that's that's something I'm I'm curious to to uh, to follow this season. Also, as far as the the Boston Celtics, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they both took big time steps last season. Jason Tatum approaching a top 10 level player. Jalen Brown, in my mind, becoming a top 25 guy. Can they, you know, make another make another sort of leap? Can Tatum get into like, you know, being considered at that lower end of the top 10? Can Jalen Brown become you know, even a little bit better and be considered kind of a, a top 20 uh, consensus guy. So so those are a couple of things. And then finally, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in watching the young players in this in this division. For Boston, of course, there's Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard. They've got some uh, Robert Williams, of course. They've got a lot of interesting young pieces the, the Knicks, of course, with Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and then, you know, Toronto as well with the likes of O.G. Ananobi, who's my pick for most improved player this year. Um, and, of course, Scotty Barnes and Malachi Flynn. So there's there's a lot of young pieces on all of these teams. And we didn't even – you know, I already mentioned Cam Thomas as an exciting rookie. And, yep. and the Sixers have some guys in, in Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel. There's a lot of interesting young players in this division to keep an eye out on. That is true. I mean, the, the plethora of, of, of guys that aren't rookies, but definitely are still, you know, not yet in their primes, fastly approaching it, or just, you know, all this potential yet to be tapped. It's a lot, and it does make up all of these rosters, whether it is, like you said, a Cam Thomas on a contending team or a Boston team is led by their young guys in the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's going to be very interesting to look at this in that way, almost like I was talking about uh, the Central Division a little bit ago, just in terms of the young guys on some of these rosters, um, especially in this concentrated like area between these teams, notably three of them, between the Raptors, uh, the Nets, and, and the Celtics. There's some guys here um, definitely going to be talking about for years to come. Yeah, and, and again, these coaches have that challenge, that high wire act of competing while also developing and giving chances for young players. It's it's a challenge. Obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of young guys do not make your team better in the win-loss column, but you know, it might be in your best interest in the long term to to give them minutes, give them opportunity and let them grow through some mistakes. So that's going to be something that uh, all these coaches have to navigate. And uh, it's, it's, it's challenging. And especially for given that all of these teams are, uh, you know, I would say competing now and, or are trying to compete in the very near future. Yeah, that's true. And like you said, the, the, the balance of that contending and maintaining some side of semblance of order and continuity is a big deal. And you're right, man, you know, thoughtfully managing kind of the young talent, persevering the older core. Uh, yeah. A few teams are going to have to worry about, or not worry, but like basically rise to the challenge rather, there you go, of trying to simultaneously build for the future and contend immediately. So that is, that is definitely a subplot for this division. Um, looking at these squads, Gary, which one has the best long-term outlook to you? So 
I wrote down two answers to this, given just just depending on your definition of long term. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, like if you're talking the next five years, if that's the long term, uh, I would still say the Nets. I mean, give me even like 35 year old Kevin Durant and James Harden. And I'll, I'll say that they're still going to be pretty good. Um, if you're talking the next 10 to 15 years, I would probably then go with the Boston Celtics, just given their top two guys in, in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And they, and they have enough uh, other pieces that I think could fill in those roles three through six or seven. So, you know, yeah, I, I think Boston, if you're looking at, okay, you know, who, who of these players can actually help their team in like 2030? Yeah, the Celtics have quite a few guys on their roster that could still theoretically be on the team at that point. Yeah, that's true. Just because of the youth of this team, uh, well, of their main guys, rather, and how they can kind of progress. Yeah, and I was looking more to however you wanted to to kind of uh, construe it there. So I'm glad that you did like a five-year kind of window and a 10-year type window because you're right, the team of, uh, the, team of the, the group now at the five-year mark may be aged out. By the time the 10-year mark comes, you're looking at a 28 or, I guess, 29, 30-year-old um, Jason, Jason Tatum or whatever, but still a, a guy very much in their prime. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, this division is going to be, I think, competitive for, for a long time. And, and these teams, I can't, I don't imagine any of these teams going anywhere in the foreseeable future, barring some sort of a thing where the Sixers trade Ben Simmons and then Joel Embiid has some catastrophic injury. That's the only way I could see it. Or, you know, Toronto might do some sort of a fire sale. I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening, but yeah, I think not only is this the best division in the NBA for this upcoming season or one of the best two or three divisions for this upcoming season, but I think it's going to be one of the best for, for years to come. Yeah. I'm definitely intrigued for sure. I think you uh, just opening up a lot more interesting subplots that made it more interesting to kind of tune into, but absolutely for sure. For sure. And I guess that leads to my final question for you, Garrett. Um, and it's kind of just your own little prediction rankings, but who's going to finish at the top? Who's going to finish at the bottom? Kind of make your way through this for me. Let's sort our way out of here. Yeah. So at the top, even despite the, the Kyrie news, I've got the Brooklyn Nets. I think as long as, as Durant and Harden are uh, relatively healthy and, and even without Irving, they've got a decent supporting cast around them. They've got enough shooting. They've got enough playmaking. They've got enough defense, I think, to squeak by on on that end of the floor. So, you know, they're going to be, you know, I I would be surprised if they're not just the number one offense in the NBA yet again. Um, So I I predicted them to be right around 55, 56 wins this season. That'll put them at the very top. and uh, I'll just go through all the teams in order and we'll get to the, the team that I have at the bottom at the end. All right, let's do it. So I had the Nets one. I actually have the, uh, the Boston Celtics finishing second in the division, just ahead of the Sixers. So I have Boston at, uh, at 50 wins. I have Philadelphia at 49 wins. I have the Knicks at 47 wins. And then I have the Raptors with 40 wins. So the Raptors being the team at the bottom, despite the fact that I think they're going to be right around 500 in a very respectable ball club. Wow. I mean, the fact that you even went all the way with that, that's <laughs> like you even have the, 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 um, 
<laughs> down to the wind. I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm, I expect nothing less when you come on here, man. I am pumped. <laughs> I am hyped for sure. For sure. Well, I got to say, thank you so much, Garrett, for coming on, just kind of breaking down this division with us, with me, with us on Ramble Ramble. Listen, we know, I, I feel like this is that Kevin Durant, you know who I am. You know, we know who you are, Garrett. But for, for those of us who are confused by just any stretch of imagination or just finding out our show, that's possible as well. Um, just tell us where we can find you out in, and of course, gush about just the amazing Rumble Ramble. I will do it for you if not. Um, but yeah, man, let, let's kind of go into a little bit here. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Garrett Bouguet. I'm, I'm uh, pretty consistently on there tweeting my, uh, my thoughts about the NBA, although I'm, I'm not doing much uh, live in-game content, so you'll have to go elsewhere for that. But um, as, far as, uh, as far as what I'm doing with the, with podca- in the podcast world, I, uh, of course, co-host the podcast Duncan Dynasty with, uh, with my friend here, Corbin, and uh, we actually just released an episode uh, on the uh, Eastern Conference over-unders, and that was the last of, uh, of many preview episodes I did. I did a, uh, a um, season prediction pod with Simon Sharon Gordon, a league pass rankings with Evan Dial, a, a tiers podcast with Justin Matcham. I did the Western Conference over-unders with Aaron Washington, so uh, pretty much anything you need for, uh, for sort of the season preview as we uh, approach this upcoming regular season, you can find it there on, uh, on Duncan Dynasty. There it is. I listen, it is one of the best in the biz. Should be getting so much more love. So I'm glad we can shout out here. Uh, same could be said for Garrett. Check him out on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Garrett, man, thanks again for coming on, my friend. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Anytime. Definitely, man. Definitely make sure to check him out. Check me out if you're interested on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball tweets online hoop ball.com. Definitely take advantage of that manscaped discount with the hoopball fam using the promo code hoopball 20 h-o-o-p-b-a-l-l-2-0 one more time h-o-o-p-b-a-l-l-2-0 uh listen y'all for garrett for myself we are frosty y'all stay frosty and i'll talk to y'all tomorrow all right y'all This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.